Hey everyone, I'm Jim Ambusky, and this is Conversations at the Washington Library. On October the 2nd, 1780, Major John Andre was executed as a spy following a tribunal and on George Washington's orders. The British officer had convinced Benedict Arnold to switch allegiances, but having been caught in the act, Andre was hung as a common criminal rather than being shot as a gentleman. While Andre is perhaps best known for bagging Arnold and meeting his death bravely, it's probably safe to say that most of us do not think much about him beyond these events. Yet Andre was involved in the world of secret warfare, of gathering intelligence, seducing his way into private company, and using personal relationships and acquired information to Britain's military advantage. On today's episode, Dr. D.A.B. Ronald introduces us to Andre, a highly educated and cultured young man skilled in the arts of treachery and warfare. Dr. Ronald was in town as part of the Washington Library's Ford Foundation Book Talk series, and he dropped by the studio beforehand to talk about how presenting Andre from a British perspective opens a whole new window into his life. Before we begin, thanks to all you listeners out there and a big hello to our recent subscribers. We appreciate your support and encourage you to tell your friends about Conversations. Next week, we'll talk to Dr. Andrew O'Shaughnessy of Thomas Jefferson's Monticello about Jefferson, George III, and the challenge of running a major research institution. But for now, let's find out what happened to Andre. So where did the interest in John Andre come from? Um, My father was in the army. Uh, he served with NATO, and, and I was mentioning to you the friends mm-hmm. that uh, that have brought us down here, also from the U.S. Air Force. I um, I'm not a sailor. My father obviously wasn't it wasn't a sailor. And after five years of uh, bobbing along on the on, on the ocean waves, doing my my doctorate about a maritime uh, <laughs> youth, I decided I would I would pursue the notion of of the hero, but try and get back onto try and get onto firma, terra firma. Right. So. Uh, I started reading about you know, uh, a wider range of quote-unquote young heroes. And there was a fair shortage of young heroes that were on land mm-hmm. because, of course, uh, as important as size and youth is uh, in, in, in a fighting navy uh, of sail, uh, on land you still need an army of a certain size. Right. Okay? You, know, you don't want 10- and 12-year-old boys you know, with, with muskets. You, know, you want relatively fully grown 16- and 17-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So uh, finding young, uh, young heroes uh, on land proved quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. But this, for me, was a character. This person, John Andre, kept on, kept on cropping up. Mm-hmm. Because one of the periods I'd studied for my doctorate was the American Revolutionary War, the yeah. one that Britain lost. Uh, and uh, so something had obviously gone, gone wrong there. And from Britain's point of yeah. view, right? Or gone right. From <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right for you guys. Yes, okay. We've got to be careful well about our language here. But no, joking aside, uh, you know, John kept on cropping up. Uh-huh. And, um, but no, no Britons really knew about him. So the, my sources were uh-huh. American sources. So, and he was being used in a propaganda sense, mm-hmm. not least by uh, Anna Seward, who was a blue stocking uh, poet, uh, who uh, wrote that monody on John Andre, mm-hmm. which was a, a coruscating attack on uh, George Washington for daring to execute an officer. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this obviously was published in sort of 1781 uh, after John had been uh, executed. And, you know, it was published in all sorts of newspapers uh, as Britain's response to the, the barbarian uh, yeah. ways of war by America. Uh, you know, good old fashioned propaganda. Yeah. Everyone was dishing it up on both sides. Anna Seward came in and, uh, with her version. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington took that very much to heart. 
And as soon as the war was over, he sent a, an emissary across to England, especially to meet with Anna, to explain uh, the circumstances in which she'd had to make the decision to execute mm-hmm. John. And she then wrote an apology, uh, which was published, um, mm. because, you know, as we know, as I know, as you know, yeah. there were clear circumstances surrounding his execution, mm-hmm. which she, as a, as, a, as, a, as a woman, a woman poet, would not have fully comprehended. It was just John had been executed. Yeah. You know, shout from the rooftop, that's wrong. So um, I got very interested in, uh, in John as a, as a figure of the, the notion of the young hero, mm-hmm. but on, 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 on uh, dry land, and started researching him. And what caught my eye was that he, uh, he was briefly a hero for us in Britain, but in, in, a, in a curious way, he'd become a hero for Americans. And Americans were very ambivalent about yeah. him. They accepted the fact um, that as a spy, he needed to be executed. But there was something that made Americans feel uneasy about the whole process. Mm-hmm. Was it that the wrong person was executed? It should have been Arnold, who yeah. John had been turning Arnold had escaped, John had been caught. Was it a suspicion that um, John, uh, his capture uh, was more um, sinister, mm-hmm. not from the American point of view, but from the Arnold-John Andre relationship point of view? Was it that John, and this seems to be the prevailing story, that those people who met him, including Alexander Hamilton, yeah. who interviewed him in the days before he was executed, uh, Came to Americans came to the view that this was an exceedingly nice gentleman, mm-hmm. and felt awkward about executing a nice gentleman. But from there ro- arose the question, which uh, I challenge in my book, uh, because it has been perpetuated in various uh, biographies of John, primarily by American uh, biographers, which was that John was. A nice chap, mm-hmm. bit naive, bit of an amateur, bit of, if I can use a modern vernacular, a bit of a desk jockey. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, happy to sit at the, uh, as a spy master sitting in New York, mm-hmm. okay, uh, moving people around on a, uh, uh, on a map, but um, not made for the cut and thrust of, uh, of, of spy world. Yes. Uh, my book basically seeks to revisit that, mm-hmm. that notion uh, which I see as very much an American notion. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I, don't, I, I, don't, I think it doesn't do service, especially to John, but also it doesn't do service to Americans the, on the basis of the worthy opponent. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Because when you fight a war and you win it, or when you fight a, a, a play a game of football, okay, if your opponent is so useless, yeah. you actually haven't really won. Right. You haven't done the anything other guy special. just rolled over. So I revisit on the basis that he was a worthy opponent. Um, uh, he did deserve to die uh, as a spy, um, but there were circumstances where we need to understand that journey mm-hmm. that led him to those events that we all know so well, which started in September, on September the 21st, 17, uh, 1780, mm-hmm. and ended within 10 days with his execution by, by hanging. Yeah. So let's un- I want to unpack a lot of that, um, because, and, and I'll tell you why. I think the point you made about bringing a British perspective and unpacking the American perspective and challenging the American perspective is important because, you know, in the olden days when I taught undergraduate surveys or I was a TA or, or a graduate assistant in undergraduate surveys is 
whenever we talked about John Andre in that moment of the war and the war when he's executed, it's really that's all we talk about is Andre um, convinces Arnold to betray the Patriot cause, gets captured in the process, and then everyone from Washington and Lafayette and Hamilton on down profoundly admires the, the ways in which he meets his death yep. and dies, and and that's that's kind of it. And we we use that story to talk about. Um, the uh, the cult of gentility uh, about uh, masculinity and about how the elites related to each other, but that's really all the story that we we tell in a lot of ways about um, Andre in a general sense, yeah. uh, and that's very much as you say an American perspective. Um, but what I loved loved about the book is that we, I mean, I really for the first time felt like I got to know John Andre. Yeah. Um, so where where what are his origins? Where does this guy come from? I mean, this guy we meet for a very brief moment uh, near the end of the Revolutionary War. He has got a much longer history that involves his family really moving around the Atlantic world. Yeah, um, it, it's um, exactly. It's very interesting. You know his his roots because for me, understanding his roots would understand the decision making process he brought mm-hmm. to bear from the moment he landed. Uh, at Haverstraw Bay, mm-hmm. uh, made his journey faithfully th- through the uh, the lines of America to be captured, uh, interrogated, and then and then executed. I needed to understand uh, the thought process that he was right. going through at that stage, and for that I needed to understand the man. Mm-hmm. And what's so good about this whole story was that you know most uh, stories about war, uh, you can hear the cannons constantly going off and you know muskets going off, and it's big battles. Here we get into a very personal story. Uh, about you know one man's journey through the, you know the hidden sounds of of, of muskets and, and mm-hmm. cannon as he's following his own very personal journey, his own uh, voyage of discovery towards um, a um, uh, if I called it fame, uh, to effectively redemption uh, because mm-hmm. for him up until the age of seventeen he was he was operating with a silver spoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yes, they were refugees. The families had, been, had to flee, couldn't flee France, uh, initially to Geneva, and then come to Britain because they were Protestants. They were Huguenots, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, un, 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 unwelcome any longer in now extremely Catholic France. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. so they came to the safety uh, of, of of Protestant Britain. And uh, John was born, you know, in 1750. Um, his parents had arrived probably six or seven years before that making a new world for themselves. Uh, they brought, you know, uh, a lot of connections. They, they were still very wealthy, even though they'd been ex- exiled. Um, uh, and they were uh, p- powerful uh, players in uh, silk trading, silk, uh, silk merchants. Mm. So they brought wealth, they brought connections. So John uh, did not arrive impoverished. His family sure. did not arrive impoverished. That would be to, mis- to mislead people. But they arrived as refugees with all the insecurities that go with being a, uh, an exiled refugee. Mm-hmm. Uh, eager, therefore, to make good in their new adopted home and wanted to move quickly to do that. So there was a, there was a sort of a, a rapidity to which, with which the family moves forward through its chosen uh, uh, society that, mm-hmm. that is going to make its home. All that works brilliantly until about 1769. So by then, mm-hmm. John is uh, 19. Mm-hmm. He's, done, he's gone had an excellent education, He's had done to, gone to sort of finishing school in Geneva, where there were still remnants of the family. So he's again among among friends, and he comes back to Britain to be effectively um, 
a clerk, a trainee clerk in his father's counting house or his family's counting house business. And um, But meantime, the family has expanded from silk merchanting into banking. Oh. Okay? Uh, which was a new craze. The Bank of England had been set up uh, reasonably recently. Uh, you know, empire was now being financed uh, off borrowed money, off invented money, off paper money. Mm-hmm. And that was a new craze. And um, the family dived into banking headfirst. And they started financing people who were speculators in a company called the East India Company, which, of Uh course, to Americans is well known. But this was just a continuation of what the the South Sea bubble of 1720 Mm -hmm. became the East India Company bubble of 1769. (laughs) And uh, from the great and the good down to the not so great and the good, people lost serious amounts of money. Now, the family had invested directly in, uh, the, uh, in the East India Company, but that wasn't their main problem. They had also financed speculators mm. to buy into the shares. And when the shares started to tumble, why did they start to tumble? Because bad news came in from India mm-hmm. that one of the local uh, Maharatas uh, was, was going back on the uh, counterattack to get Britain out of India. Oh, so yeah. suddenly, uh, East India Company holdings in the mighty empire of Bengal were under threat. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the share price imploded. Now, we know all that those sorts of things happen when bad news hits. Yeah. Um, and uh, John's family uh, was um, hit two ways. Firstly, the father died suddenly in, seven, in April 1769 mm-hmm. in slightly mysterious circumstances. Whether he had, he sensed that something was about to go wrong and that the family was hopelessly exposed yeah. or whatever, um, uh, that led to uh, a further crisis uh, over the next two years where the defaulting loan lend, uh, borrowers pointed the finger back at the family mm-hmm. and claimed grossest fraud by the, the family. Reputation suddenly on the line yeah. in, the, in their adopted country, immediately refugee, you know, is this, is this a safe country to be in? Am I about to be thrown out of this country? So all of a sudden it clicks into gear mm-hmm. uh, with the father dead. And John is now head of the family with a widowed mother and three daughters, sorry, uh, three sisters mm-hmm. uh, and a younger son to take care of. Yeah. So he has to rethink all his plans. He wanted to be a poet. He didn't want to be a, a counting house clerk. Yeah. So he didn't have to be a counting house clerk any longer because uh, that was dead and buried as far as he was concerned, left to his uncles to handle from now on. They, they could pick up the, uh, the mess. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's now casting around, do I want to go into Parliament? Hasn't got any money. Mm-hmm. Uh, can, I don't want to be a poet, uh, can't afford to any longer. Yeah. So he's looking around for a career, and he chooses the army. He, he buys a commission, and he now sets off into the army. Mm. So we had one turning point, death of father plus the, the East India Company crisis. Yeah. We move to our second turning point in John's career, which is uh, in his early stages as, as, as a subaltern in 71, 72. Um, he is spotted by uh, a man called Colonel Prescott, who goes on to be General Prescott, who Americans will know very well indeed as a very hard-bitten um, old-school uh, army officer from the Seven Years, uh, what we call the Seven Years' War. Yeah. But uh, Prescott was a... Uh, he understood something called secret warfare, mm. what the French called a petite guerre, okay, uh, what we would call at the sharp end spying, espionage in modern language. But it ranged in those days through from that sharp end mm-hmm. through to making contacts uh, with uh, 
the great and the good influential people in, in, in the societies that you might be looking to infiltrate. Yes. And the main enemy, obviously, was France. So uh, John brought skills that Prescott not, uh, noticed, which were ideal for, for, for the secret warfare. Mm-hmm. Firstly, he was, uh, had a facility with languages. Firstly, he was fluent in French. Okay? Mm-hmm. Old enemy, we're always going to be fighting France. It was a British attitude. So somebody who's <laughs> fluent in French can just disappear into French society, yeah. listen, learn, report back. Secondly, John, because of his counting house experience, knew the value of money. Mm-hmm. He knew how you could lose money, he knew how to make money. He's going to be serving alongside other officers who are um, uh, Lord so-and-so yes. or second son of Lord so-and-so, mm-hmm. okay, who have no sense of the value of money except on the gaming tables <laughs> when they know how to lose it <laughs> yeah, pretty rapidly. Lose okay? it, yeah. So uh, the, the fact that somebody uh, coming in as an officer uh, who, who understood the value of money, how are we doing on time? Sorry. Oh, we're good. Uh, okay. Um, it uh, was an important factor because mm-hmm. that could be somebody who could be used at, at, at regimental level to manage the affairs of the regiment, mm-hmm. okay, as, as adjutant potentially. Yeah. Um, thirdly, John could sketch. He was an artist. He wasn't just a poet, he was an artist. Right. And yeah. in the world of secret warfare, somebody going in and making a map and bringing that map back very important. Really important. Okay. So he had that skill. Um, probably the most important skill I identify, which is, brings us to those sharp days of, 70, of September 1780, the ability to be, uh, to be, uh, to be invisible, to be a, like yeah. a chameleon, mm-hmm. uh, to be both uh, a nice person, but a sharp fighter. Yeah. And this is the mistake, in my opinion, that was made by Americans and analyzing who John was. Mm-hmm. What they saw was the nice face. He's a nice guy. Uh, he was a very nice person. I have no doubt about that. But he had the ability, because he was part of, uh, he served under No Flint Grey, uh-huh. Battle of pa- the Massacre of Powerly, Battle of Powerly. Right. John was there. He reported it. Um, uh, and for me to claim that he was some innocent abroad, mm-hmm. uh, he, not only was he, you know, uh, adept at secret warfare and all that involved at the sharp and the, and the blunt end, but also he was a fighter. He was mm-hmm. prepared to be involved on the battlefield in, in the battlefield on the front line serving his, his general. So he was battle-hardened. So do you, see, you think then that the, his cosmopolitanism, his, you know, he was a very cultural person, that clearly throws up a kind of mask. I mean, that's not, I guess that's not fair. It's not really a mask because he was all those things, you know, as you rightly say. He, he was all those, was absolutely, all, you're absolutely right. He was all those things. He did not have to cheat and, and lie and pretend uh, you know, he, he did compose poetry mm-hmm. for women, and his ability to, for want of a better word, seduce, in a metaphorical sense, women, was an, was an unusual skill at sure. a time when women were normally kept at one removed. So he was probably a, a pathfinder in the notion of bringing women as useful mm-hmm. players in, into warfare, albeit secret warfare. Yeah. They were listening, they were learning, they were marrying, they were doing all the stuff, they were there, uh, whether it was good patriots or not so good patriots. Mm-hmm. So uh, for him to uh, access that world, you, you, you know, you couldn't walk into a, a salon armed with a saber. Right. Okay? <laughs> exactly. Okay, right, or a musket. Yeah. But you could walk in armed with uh, the ability to sketch a beautiful uh, mm-hmm. image of a girl or to write poetry and deliver it up as if she's the first person to have ever heard that poem. So he brought that skill set. It was a genuine skill set, but it was a way 
Uh, and again, Prescott understood this. It was a way that John could go into society, mm-hmm. into places that other officers really couldn't go into because they didn't have that, that range of skill sets. He wasn't putting on a pretension of culture. He, he actually knew how to do all this stuff, and he could move very fluently amongst the people and then go back and report to General Gray or whoever, General Prescott, you know, the activities that were going on that would lead to a military objective. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, obviously, whenever we want somebody goes to war, mm-hmm. they have to put on a new face. Right. Okay? They have to do things they would never have done in peacetime. And John, in that sense, was mm-hmm. no different. And he understood the fact that he was going to have to park uh, his genuine desire to be a poet, mm-hmm. uh, but use it to, you know, uh, to, to, for, for, as a new skill set mm-hmm. in, in, in his current position. Uh, similarly, with the propaganda he wrote, you know, he he was fascinated. He, you know, he he was keeping a journal, which of course has disappeared now, uh, a personal mm-hmm. journal. So he was going to write, you know, the great journal of the war. Yeah. Okay, he wrote two good journals from individual periods of the war, but he had in mind a much bigger journal. Mm-hmm. You know, he was going to write the ultimate uh, account of the war. So he had great ambitions, uh, uh, literarily uh, as well as a, po- as, a uh, as well as a pure poet. But he had to park all that. Yeah. Was, you know, he was in line of command now. Uh, he was being trained for specific duties. He happened to be suited for those duties, mm-hmm. and that was going to give him uh, the promotion. And this is where we come back to what was driving John in those 10 days leading up to uh, his execution. Yeah. Was he uh, overweening in his ambition? Because mm-hmm. that's also been a, a charge made against John, okay? Uh, I, I challenge that. Yes, he was ambitious, but, but all officers worth their salt are ambitious. Oh, yeah. They want to move on from somewhere they're standing and move on to something better. I mean, the guy, John, who, the, say, the guy who lives down, who used to live in the house right down the street here. He <laughs> was, he was exactly, yeah. uh, absolutely. So they recognized, in, you know, uh, Hamilton and, and Washington certainly recognized in, in John an officer on the move. Yeah. Okay. Um, was he moving too quickly? Yes, he was moving very, up, very fast up because mm-hmm. he had been so good at what he did. And he was loyal to his commanding officer, whoever that might be, it'd be Gray or subsequently Clinton. Okay, mm-hmm. But he understood the fact that, you know, there was a chain of command. And his job was to deliver on his skill set. Mm-hmm. And he was good at delivering on that skill set as far as he was concerned up until the moment when things, uh, the wheels started to come off in, fatefully in those, in those yeah. September days, which we can come back to in a second. But he learned these skills uh, when he was shipped off to Germany, you know, as that young subaltern, so I'm yeah. backing up now to 1772 very quickly. Right. He was sent off to Germany uh, to, to learn all the, the skills of secret warfare in the theatre where the next war was going to be fought by Britain, which was going to be on the continent against France, yeah. maybe against Spain, and you needed to get to talk to the Germans because the Germans provided, through their 300 petty states, this pool of mercenaries mm-hmm. uh, to fight the good war for the right price. So he was going to be making contacts for the, of the next generation of young German warriors um, who were going to fight from the Protestant states for Britain for a price. So we move, suddenly things start to go pear-shaped in America. We all know that history. By 1774, things are going like a, like a, uh, like a bit of a train yeah. in America. Okay? It's not going well. Uh, but yeah, Britain's always three months behind the game on this one, right, okay? right, right. for obvious reasons, because of the, uh, the dear old Atlantic. And... Um, John is um, sent, uh, his new mission, which is one he'd just already done in Germany, was to bring uh, uh, orders across from the war office to uh, Philadelphia to the commander of the Royal Irish Regiment that was, uh, mm. was quartered in, uh, in Philadelphia to um, uh, leave Philadelphia 
and go to New York. But John happened to arrive on something called the 3rd of September. And on the 5th of September, there was something called the uh, Continental Congress. Oh, yes. So he arrived in, in uh, Philadelphia. And from a historian's point of view, it looked like, you know, this is, this is as if he'd been sent to listen. Yeah. No, he was not. It was purely accident. accidental. But here he was, secret warfare skills straight to the fore. So at the same time as handing over the orders to the uh, Northern Liberties Barracks commander there, you know, we're, we're off to New York now. Uh, John is saying, uh, I think I'll listen in. I'll, yeah. I'll watch this great event, <laughs> see what's going on. And what he would have seen is a nation firing up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, he was seen at very close quarters, those delegates filing into the Carpenter's Hall, and these were delegates who, delegates who were really fired up. Right. And he wouldn't have known that back in London, and nobody back in London would have known that. So he carries that message up, firstly to New York, and then to Boston, to where, where mm. Prescott is. A reports to Prescott, uh, and suddenly Thomas Gage and Prescott and you know, the, 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 the high command there starts to crank up ready for the next phase. Because at the same time as the delegates are returning to Boston, among yeah. other places, okay, ready to arm, we're now going to get ourselves geared for that. This is no longer a riot. Right. This is, this is heading towards rebellion. John was going over there, if anything, to quell a riot, mm-hmm. which became a rebellion, which became a revolution, which became a war. So um, he, he was up in Canada. Obviously, we then have... Um, Americans now advancing up from, uh, you know, from Boston right. after Bunker Hill, which obviously passed John by, did not pass Prescott by. But um, John's is sitting there uh, up at uh, Fort St. John, which is just south of Montreal, mm-hmm. guarding the, the entry point for the second entry point for Americans coming into, into yeah. Canada. Okay? And um, uh, uh, Montgomery and Livingston arrive, was it Schuyler? Uh, Montgomery and Livingston arrive, uh, uh, get repulsed at um, Fort St. John first time round, uh, then bypass it and ca- capture Fort Chamblay, mm-hmm. isolating Fort St. John. And uh, so John is now trapped in, uh, in Fort St. John and, and is told by Prescott um, to write a journal of what will become an honourable defeat. Uh, yeah. So um, honour is, 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 a, is, a, is a constant thread through this story. Mm-hmm. Having lost family honour, because of his father's bankruptcy and shenanigans with the East India Company bankruptcy. He, um, uh, John is not just looking to get promotion to become a, a, a successful officer at the top and be able to uh, take care of his family. He's looking mm-hmm. to recover the family honour. So he writes a journal which uh, increasingly becomes clear is going to be honourable defeat. Sure. And I, I analyse through that journal to see how he's teasing out mm-hmm. the concept of honourable defeat. Which, which was, was, was accepted uh, notion yeah. back in those days. Oh, yeah. You didn't always win all the wars, but if you were going to lose, lose honourably. Lose honourably, yeah. You didn't run for cover. Yeah. So he's, he's then sent down to, um, uh, having been captured, with, along, along with 530 other uh, uh, Britons who obviously had to surrender honourably. Uh, he's a second wave because he's as adjutant and quartermaster, He's in charge of the baggage train. Mm, yeah. So he follows uh, uh, the, 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 the main uh, train of prisoners of war down into Pennsylvania uh, to, be, um, uh, to take care of the baggage train. But, of course, he's invisible. Yeah. Okay? 
He's just, he's just in charge of the baggage train. So this is where you see, you know, we've got beautiful images of John, you know, with, with his, you know, his, his, his hairstyle and all that sort yeah. of stuff, you know, you know, perfect gentleman from the 18th yeah. century. You know, here's the soft officer that the Americans saw. What they did not see was he was also, for instance, you know, in command of the baggage train, still had to eat, still had to meet people, still talking yeah. to people. So he would have been gathering information invisibly mm -hmm. as he's going down there. That was his job. Uh, to gather information uh, and do it by whatever means possible. Yeah. So when he arrives in Pennsylvania, um, he finds uh, his regiment is quartered in Lancaster. When he's cartelled in late 1776, uh, cartel means prisoner exchange. Oh, yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, he returns to New, to New York, which is now British headquarters, because, of course, we've gone through all sorts of uh, you know, rebuffs by the British, yeah. and they now you know, hold up in, in New York. And all that passed him by, including the Declaration of Independence in, in July that year. Um, and John is, um, he arrives back at headquarters and almost immediately he snapped up. Mm. I mean, he writes a letter to his mother, sir, in, in today's modern vernacular, I got a job. <laughs> okay, he's, been a, he's been a year twiddling his thumbs, okay, and yet immediately he's got a job. Why? Because he brings maps from West Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Okay, now this is not maps of the whole of Pennsylvania, right. there were plenty of those that existed, and the British Army had those. It's, you know, bridge crossing here, yeah. river crossing there. So when the war gets down to the micro level, you know, who's got a map of, of you know, the, the, the streets of Lancaster yeah. or Carlisle or wherever it is? So he was breaking his parole, going out constantly, taking maps. That's bad boy stuff. Yeah. Okay, he was breaking yeah. his parole. So this idea of him as sort of, you know, a, um, a good guy... Okay, he was fighting war, and he knew he was fighting a war. Well, it's exactly what you would expect of an intelligence officer. Exactly. Yeah. So he comes back on. What he comes back on with his German at the time when the Hessians, you know, the, uh, the mercenaries are about to arrive yeah. or just arriving, he's German speaking. So he gets that job. You know, so he, he immediately <laughs> gets a made uh, um, ADC mm -hmm. to uh, a, a arriving general called uh, General Gray, uh, and within a few months. Uh, is joining the the mighty uh, armada going down to the uh, the, uh, the Elk River just south of uh, Delaware for the the, the the master plan to uh, attack and capture uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. The purpose of capturing Philadelphia was actually to draw Washington into a, a battle after a battle after a battle because mm -hmm. we knew once we would get Washington, Washington into a battle, we'd win. And the only way this war was going to end was by a big battle. Yeah. And Washington realized, he better, you know, certainly after um, uh, a brandy wine, right. he realized, ah, we're going to lose this war if we're not careful. Yeah. So being the brilliant officer that he was, uh, a strategist, he realized, I think we're going to start trying to avoid battles mm -hmm. with, 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 with the Redcoats until we're ready for them. Yeah. Okay. So we followed John, and he's now writing a journal for, uh, for Gray. Okay, day by journal, day journal. Is this to magnify his, uh, his, his commanding officer? Arguably so. Sure. But he was just given instructions. You know, I, need, I need a record of this campaign mm -hmm. seen from my ADC's eyes. I'm sure there'll be an official one written by Howe. Yeah. But I, I'm my own general here. I'm not going to glorify myself, but I want to know what's going on. I want a record of it. Yeah. So John is writing a day-by-day -day account. And guess what John's doing? He's out there... Um, Behind, behind American lines, well, of course, the lines didn't exist, yeah. but he was going into enemy territory. When he knocked on somebody's door, was this a loyalist or was this a patriot? Mm -hmm. he, he would find that out, but he'd find it out by saying, have you got any food? Because the, uh, the, the armada arrived with not enough food. Mm -hmm. 
and the Hessians were starting to plunder and the British did not want that, so they wanted to buy food because he didn't want to alienate the local yeah. population. And John's out there, so he's making contacts, all the time making contacts, and also gathering intelligence. See. And it was a civil war. Yeah. You, you never knew who to trust. So it was not just a, a, a war between two, two armies who would you know, maybe see each other color-wise, you know, sort of uh, bluish yeah. versus reddish, yeah. okay? But uh, in the world that John was operating in, certainly it was an invisible war sure. where the person you made contact with may betray you. Ah, we're getting to the word betrayal, okay? We'll come yeah. on to that fairly rapidly, okay? So, um, you know, you have a situation where nobody, be, nobody can be trusted. Mm-hmm. You knock on a door, who's he, how's he going to appear? Is he going to shake your hand or shoot you? Yeah. So um, the British learned fairly early on that, you know, finding loyalists, and there were, mm-hmm. was, quite, quite, was quite tough going. Yeah. And similarly for the Patriots, it was trying to find out, you know, unearth the loyalists. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, with any civil war, as you know, with your real civil war, right. and this was a, a, a civil war, by, in a sense, by proxy, okay, um, those are the nastiest because you never know who to trust. Mm-hmm. You know, go to the, you know, the, 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 the desert of Africa and you can see the Germans and you can see the British you know, and the Americans. You know, you, you know who the enemy is. Yeah, those um, lines are clear. In, in the world of um, the Elk River up to Philadelphia and then within Philadelphia, which is where the British stayed for about six months or so, mm-hmm. um, you never knew who to trust. Yeah. So uh, the British were planning to, to finally to encircle um, Washington at White Marsh. This was the last engagement just before, before you know, going to winter quarters mm-hmm. in 1777, 1778, and the British sort of settling into, into, uh, into Philadelphia for the winter. And uh, a lady called Lydia Darrock overheard the conversation by the adjutant general mm-hmm. about the plans for the following morning, carried those plans through to, to Washington. Washington realized he'd better hot-footed out of white, the white yeah. area, and he escaped the British noose that was being planned. Uh, that was, in many ways, that was the crucial turning point. Because up until then, even though Saratoga had happened, mm-hmm. if we could have counterbalanced, we, the British, could have yeah. counterbalanced that with an equally dramatic defeat of Washington. Well, yeah. Okay, so what, you know, Washington wasn't at Saratoga. He was there. Yeah. Capture him, surround the whole army, war over, mm-hmm. arguably. Okay. Now, I, I dispute that. I think this is a war we were always going to lose. Uh, Britain was always going to lose. Well, it would have, so. it would have made, made it more difficult probably for the French to decide to enter the war exactly. as well. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and we've been operating in a stalemate war for, for, on a continuing basis. So we now come to uh, the six months uh, uh, in, in Philadelphia where the war came to a halt partly because of the winter quarters. And we've got Valley, Valley Forge happening. Mm-hmm. Again, winter quarters, war stops when there's snow around again. Yeah. Um, except maybe John and, and the other secret warriors. Uh, so um, we get to the end of the, uh, the occupation of Philadelphia, which was a Pyrrhic victory. But John's come armed with a relationship with a girl called Peggy Shippen. Yes. That, so let's, let's talk about that because that's that – if it had been successful in the end uh, – well, I mean, it was successful in, in bringing Arnold away. But if that had materialized into an American defeat because of that treachery, that would have been really – the great masterful stroke, the great the great coup. So how does how does his relationship with well, how does he develop that relationship with with Peggy Shippen? Um, again, uh, through the salon, mm-hmm. through being able to get into family houses uh, of, of Quaker families in a, in a very uh, low profile way, uh, through being you know uh, handsome, debonair, civilized, mm-hmm. cultured, to uh, with with a group of girls who were looking 
for they weren't necessarily loyalists, but they wanted to be interfacing with people who were were not hair shirts, you know, right. congressman hair shirts. Yeah. They were people who were cultured uh-huh. Europeans, uh, and John was the epitome of that. Mm-hmm. Um, whether he, they, whether they became lovers or not, uh, I argue not. Mm-hmm. But they certainly sealed a relationship of mutual self-interest, mm-hmm. which is for her uh, defeat the uh, hair shirt congressman, Congress, yeah. which she found abhorrent. Okay, um, and for him, obviously, to sow seeds and get into into, into a, a loyalist uh, network, mm-hmm. so that uh, he could uh, somehow. Um, organize his masterstroke. Uh, it was fairly clear to me early on that the masterstroke that was planned was something associated with the Hudson River up to West Point. Okay? Mm-hmm. But they had to wait for the, 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 the man to arrive who would deliver that. Yeah. Okay? They, could, they could dream about that plan. And it had been right from the beginning, once uh, the colonies started to fracture, the Hudson with its dagger right up from, you know, uh, sort of Long Island all the way up effectively to Montreal right. was this, this, this knife through the heart of the colonies that you could split okay, con- and control certainly the lower part of the Hudson. It, you could really yeah. do damage to the, to the plans of the revolution. And um, so, uh, but the first, first step was find me a general. Mm-hmm. Effectively, uh, it would probably be almost as crude a conversation as that between Peggy and and John. We need somebody high up mm-hmm. that we can suborn, that we can turn. Uh, and your job, Peggy, is to make that contact. Uh, whether marriage was going to be part of the, the plan, yeah. I, I don't think so. I don't think John imagined she would actually marry whoever she turned mm-hmm. or was planning to turn. And there's certainly uh, poems that he wrote which suggest that he was, became suddenly very jealous of, of this relationship. I see. Okay? Uh, he, he, a poem he writes called The Frantic Lover. Uh, and it's, it's really, it's, you know, it, it's, it's agonizing in the pain. Mm-hmm. So I think marriage was not quite what he had planned uh, with Peggy. But things moved forward because Arnold yeah. was nominated as uh, military governor of, of Philadelphia uh-huh. when the British left. So he was, you know, top dog. He was the, he was the man to capture. Yeah. But no, but you know, no, neither John nor uh, Peggy realised that he was turnable, if I yeah. use an expression. Okay, <laughs> but Peggy found out, and she may have actually worked Arnold. Mm-hmm. Okay, and in my book, I argue that actually she was the she was the provocateur or provocatrice mm-hmm. in this in this relationship that developed rather than Arnold. But he was easily influenced because he had a, a, an ongoing battle with Congress. Yeah. So, um, uh, and, and since my evidence for that is that within a month of their marrying uh, in um, 1778, um, they, um, Arnold had Peggy writing to John mm-hmm. to set in motion the, uh, the, 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 the clandestine correspondence. Um, well, and going back to what something you said earlier, that the notion of honor is a thread that runs throughout this entire story. I mean, Arnold very much feels that his honor has been besmirched by Congress, and you know that probably makes him compromisable in the eyes of Andre and, and Peggy. Yeah, uh, exactly. And again, you know, uh, they may have identified uh, Arnold not just because he was you know going to be the the, the, com- uh, the, uh, the governor. But because they were picking up information mm-hmm. about his, his ongoing battles over uh, with Congress about him, um, his peculations, his his uh, you know defrauding of Congress mm-hmm. or defrauding of the of the revolutionary um, uh, program, so uh, he was easily turned, 
Um, but having said that, it took 18 months to seal to actually seal the, seal deal, the deal because yeah. there's another part of John of of, of Arnold, which uh, you, the honor yes may have been somewhere in the system. But probably the most important thing, the most important driver for Arnold was money. Yeah. Just f- purely and simply money. Mm-hmm. Um, he deserved a reward, and for, for him it was meant money, a financial reward for all the pains he'd gone through, you know, his injuries, his success at Saratoga, as the great hero of Saratoga. Mm-hmm. He deserved a reward. If he wasn't going to get it, he was going to take it. Yeah. So, and if he couldn't take it because Congress said, no, you can't take it, he was going to do the next best thing, which was, you know, become biddable. Yeah. To the British, and it took eighteen months, supposedly eighteen months, to uh, agree a deal with him. But actually, uh, and this is where I, uh, I invite people to read my book, um, because I reanalyze the correspondence that goes on between mm-hmm. uh, it's a triangular correspondence between Peggy, uh, Arnold, and John uh, through that eighteen months of torture, yeah. uh, torturous negotiations, um, and. Um, uh, I, I say I, I invite people to read that that that, that section of the book because um, I revisit the whole mm-hmm. negotiation. Yeah, and that leads us through to supposedly a successful negotiation uh, come September 1780. Mm-hmm. Um, John has been down to Charleston as an oh, interlude yeah. there, which is a great. British the, victory. Yeah, the great victory at Charleston. Okay. Yes. Uh, so the British now, you know, you know, high on the, not high on the hog, but they're you know, back in high spirits yeah. again. You know, this war can well, be they've, won. They've got some okay. momentum. Give me, a, give me a good stroke, uh, uh, a grand stroke, uh, uh, John, and this war will be over. So Clinton's yeah. bearing down on John to deliver. So a lot of pressures on John. But, but again, I would argue that those pressures are more on Clinton than on John. Mm-hmm. He, he is going into negotiations, the final stage of negotiations with um, uh, Arnold. I think was a pretty cool head, okay, but ambitious. Yeah, okay? certainly. He's not a man in a hurry, but this is his moment. His moment is because uh, Admiral Rodney has arrived with 10 sail of line. Right. Okay, so that's probably a uh, sail of line, 800 man to the uh, to, you know, uh, mm-hmm. company, to a, uh, to a, to a, a man of war. Um, so that's times 10. That's 8,000 British men, mm-hmm. sailors, Fighting sailors got up the Hudson, um, arriving to bolster yeah. uh, Clinton's war effort. So this is the moment to strike. It, the, the, this armada wasn't expected. It was actually on its way down to the West Indies, mm-hmm. but it was it was rewatering in, in in New York for a period of time. And John knew Rodney's son from their time in Germany together. Oh. So Rodney would have had a conversation with John without Clinton in the room. Yeah. And, 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 you know, John would have discussed the West Point, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, grand stroke. And Rodney would have said, I'll give you all the men you need. <laughs> Let's okay? finish this just, thing. Just, just get the maps, get up there, yeah. get, you know, secure a West Point, and we're up, up and away. Yeah. So this is element of gung-ho-ness. But this is not John. This is, you know, he's, he's serving his masters, right. in this case, an admiral. Senior officer. So... Um, John goes up uh, Hudson to meet with um, Arnold. I basically tear into, in my book, into the events of the next 10 days. Mm-hmm. And I strip away, uh, in my opinion, the misconceptions about mm-hmm. uh, not the events that happened, but in the interpretation of yeah. the events. Mm-hmm. Because it's the interpretation which became propaganda. 
and it was American propaganda because mm-hmm. the British were basically passive here. And that gets back to what we started with the idea that Americans see him as sort of a self-cultured man, but not yep. as a, yep. a man who was practicing deception and, yep. and secret warfare. Yep. And uh, I, I revisit those um, uh, events uh, and revisit them firm in the knowledge that I pretty well know John, mm-hmm. having spent 20, uh, 30 years with him. Yeah, okay? a lot of time in his head. Okay. And I've seen where he's been going. I've seen what he's been doing. I've seen what he's been learning. And I've been learning, I've been seeing what he is as a person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see a very different interpretation of the events through to his execution. Um, and um, I invite people to, to read that section if they don't want to read anything yeah. else, okay, to reread that section. And then having read that section, say, ah, maybe, maybe I better understand John a bit better. Right. Because it's, it's a logical conclusion to what I see John up until then. Um, and it's a story. Is, you know, it's, it's like, uh, are you interrogating me, mm-hmm. Jim, or am I interrogating you? Yeah. Okay. Um, invariably, the interrogator thinks he's doing the interrogating. Sure. And the interrogatee is just being, you know, hammered against the wall, <laughs> metaphorically. You know, tell me your secrets. And the, and the, and the guy, you know, the, the guy who interrogates, yeah, I'll well, tell you whatever you want to hear. Okay. Uh, all too often, and if it's a professional, and John was used to interrogating prisoners of war, yeah. you know, he was used to getting information out of people by softness, mm-hmm. by, you know, by, by trickery, by, you know, sleight of hand. They don't realize they're giving him information when they say X rather than Z. Yeah. Okay. So John was, intu- was, was, was familiar with the whole skill of, of, of interrogation. And when he's being interrogated by, uh, among others, um, well, Talmadge, Yep, Benjamin uh, Talmadge. Yeah. Head of the uh, uh, Washington Secret Service, uh, Lieutenant King, uh, supposedly not Washington, but certainly Alexander Hamilton, mm-hmm. okay? And then the Court of Inquiry of 12 good officers, uh, yeah. uh, true officers. Uh, he, who, who's, who's interrogating who? Yeah, and I, I think that was one of the more fascinating parts of the book, and I won't get into it because people should buy the book so that they can, they can read that. But yeah, I think you're right. He, he, there is a clear sense that each side is trying to work the other, and it's yep. not quite clear who's who's winning, and or yep. you know what they want the end game to be. Yeah. Now uh, you know, so uh, I, I'm I'm not inviting the suggestion that John marched to war in a sort of suicidal, you know, death stroke. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, marched marched to his 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 his, his, his scaffold. Okay. Sorry, I was uh, lost my word there. Um, but uh, by no means, he, he was, I think, counting on the fact that yeah. somehow or other a deal would be done because mm-hmm. uh, he could not imagine in his honourable world right. that he was going to be uh, hanged, mm-hmm. shot maybe, okay? Um, but uh, so he was accepting death, death from that point of view, but to be hanged, he, that, that came as a surprise to him and he, he handled it as best he could in the circumstances. But um, uh, he, he, had, he had issues that he needed to handle mm. to make sure that not so much that his death was just an honourable death. That's what people recognised on the outside. Yeah. And he was going to deliver that anyway. He was you know, guaranteed right. he was that type of man, okay? But that's what Americans saw. What I see is beyond that is that he had to manage the process mm-hmm. once he was captured. He had to manage that process minute by minute for an agenda that his, his captors, his interrogators, did not see yeah. and did not understand. And therefore... Uh, he did. A, he did um, a, an excellent job as a, an officer, as a gentleman, and a gentleman. He was working them to the very end. Yeah, um, and that, I think that's what people like Hamilton 
understood. And that's why, when, you know, in, in my talk this evening, I'm going to be asking the question, you know, villain or, or victim. Um, but for me, what, what I suppose endures in the story of John is that he was, in, he was an enigma. He was mm. very enigmatic. And people meeting him were never sure and that was what the, the, the interest in him yeah. was. That was the, what the charisma was. They weren't quite sure who he was. Yeah, who he was, which face they were getting at any given time. Yeah. And that is, uh, that is um, the skill of a secret warrior. Yeah, indeed. Well, and just to close this part of the discussion about Andre, and I want to ask you just very briefly about where you want to go next. But, um, you know, Andre's hanged, he's executed, he's hung as a spy. Both the Americans have spies. You know, Nathan Hale's executed for being a spy. You know, Benjamin Talmadge is the head of the Secret Service. There's the Culper Ring, uh, you know, the British Secret Secret Service here that Andre's a part of. Why is it that spies get hung? You know, why is that seen as a, a, a dastardly part of warfare? When everyone's doing it. Uh, and instead of being shot like a gentleman and an officer, he is hung as a, a kind of a lowly figure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's an interesting, and this is a, a point that a, a lot of previous American biographers agonized over, mm-hmm. um, because America, building a new nation, wanted to be building a new nation with, with the force of law on its mm-hmm. side, okay? And therefore, this decision to hang him rather than shoot him, indeed, to, to execute him at all, mm-hmm. uh, was a source of uh, immense debate and agony for a lot of American writer, you know, yeah. writers at the time, but subsequently, okay? And they had to hide behind the fact that he was a spy. Mm-hmm. And the rules of war dictated across the board, whatever side you were on, on as a competent, spy, you're executed. Mm. But as you say, there were spies, um, you know, and, and it was, it was the, the nature of, uh, of warfare. But there was, um, in the rules of war, especially in the 18th century, there was something, for a better word, dirty about being a spy. Ah, yes. Okay, you had to be visible, you know, with your breast bared, okay, as a red coat or blue, you know, or, or blue coated, you know, you had to be out there visible, yeah. operating in the world of secret warfare, okay, um, you were invisible. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, uh, this was a, an issue that John uh, agonized over in his, in his last few days, he argued, and also Clinton argued, that John was not a spy, okay. He, this was this this is the the, the definition of the secret warfare. Uh-huh. It, it's so broadly based yeah. that when you're talking to a correspondent um, in a French court mm-hmm. or a German court who gives you some information, right? Okay, right. Who, who's the spy? Right. The spy is actually the person who is who's the French spy or the German spy. Yeah. If you are the, the, the British person going into that court and, and listening or give, being given information, mm-hmm. are you the spy? And he argued that he was only negotiating as a correspondent. Mm-hmm. Okay? With, uh, so the, the real spy was actually... Was Arnold. Was Arnold. Okay? Because he was, re- he was betraying his own people. Mm-hmm. John was not betraying his own people. Okay? He was working for, officially for his his commanding mm-hmm, officer, mm-hmm. Uh, bending his orders maybe, but he was he was acting yeah. for his uh, under orders. So he he argued until death that he was not a spy, and that's why John was um, uh, given a uh, a memorial in Westminster Abbey, mm-hmm. lamented by his foes. Yeah, okay, yeah. and that's why what attracted me about the story was that this was so ambiguous, a uh, an enigmatic story, but it was quite clear. And this was not just a, a rallying call, mm-hmm. okay? We've got to find a hero somewhere. Yeah. This was genuinely an, a real sympathy for the family mm-hmm. and for, for, for John. Uh, 
that he had died um, uh, the wrong death. Okay, right, right. that uh, he was not a spy, mm-hmm. and because you just certainly don't you don't put monuments up for spies in Westminster Abbey. <laughs> yeah, okay, exactly, full stop. Yeah. End of conversation. Okay, yeah. so we had a very different view, and Clinton had a very different view. Tried to argue that with Washington, but Washington had. Uh, I think Washington, and certainly Hamilton, agreed, um, but Congress was fighting its own war. Yeah. Okay, and, and it's quite clear from the correspondence that uh, Washington was given uh, no option at all. Mm-hmm. You've got to hang somebody. If right. you, and if you can't get Arnold, you're going to have to hang, hang this guy. You've got to hang who, him. who is he? Okay, uh, we don't mind about who he is. He just he's got to die. Yeah. So there's politics involved, and I understand that because Washington was fighting his own war. It wasn't just against the British, but also against Congress. Yeah. One false step. And he was gone. Yeah, that was a very dangerous time for him because yeah. there were real questions about whether or not he should remain commander in chief. And and, and he period. had nominated Arnold to West Point, yeah, exactly. so he, was, he, had, he had sort of proverbial blood, yeah. uh, political blood on his hands. So I understand completely um, uh, Washington's problem, yeah. um, and that's you know that's part of the the, the, the tragedy, but also the, uh, the 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 interest about the whole story. This this is not a, a, a straight line of emotions. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's there's jagged edges here with a lot of in, individual people who've got their own uh, uh, issues to address. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that's what John recognised. Okay, um, you know he would have preferred to be shot. He understood, he, you know, he was going to be punished. But you know, Hamilton tried to negotiate for mm-hmm. um, for a swap. Yeah. That was going to be blood money. Right. And the British weren't, could not buy that. They weren't going to do that. Um, and John understood once he was being caught. You know, you know, he was heading towards some form of mm-hmm. punishment, probably death. Uh, and that didn't frighten him because he'd been living it. Yeah. So he was not lily-livered, you know, petrified of, you know, of anything. Uh, he, he, he was a hard bitten, hard, mm-hmm. hardened warrior and understood the rules mm-hmm. of war. So, um, but Americans have agonized over that, and yeah. I understand that, because America was trying to build a civilized mm-hmm. new nation, and this war was, uh, was, was pretty nasty at times. Right, right. And his last words were, it'll be a momentary, uh, be a, but a momentary pang, pang right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, which um, uh, is, um, yeah. So when I finished the book, um, did you have a momentary pang uh, when you finished? I had a real pang because uh, yeah, uh, it's fatal to get to 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 go Stockholm. Yeah, <laughs> with, with in a biography, but he's uh, he is uh, so charismatic. Yeah, yeah, or was is was. Um, I, I enjoyed writing about him, um, and uh, from my from my point of view, the challenge it was going to into the enemy camp. <laughs> as a British author, yeah. about a war that we lost, yeah. that America deserved to win, yeah. should not have been fought. According to, should never have been fought from the, right from the beginning. As Franklin said, once this war starts, it's going to be over. That we'll win. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but he he didn't want a winner and a loser. He wanted a um, uh, you know a, a, a partnership right, of, right, two, right. of two Anglo-Saxon Protestant countries, uh, nations. So um, I'm hooked on the uh, on your yeah. evolution. Well, great. Uh, well, we're glad to have you. Yeah. And I, 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 maybe, I'm a, maybe I'm a masochist, <laughs> but no, it's a fascinating war. Yeah. Uh, it brings up all sorts of issues. Uh, my next project, probably going to ask that question next. My yes, next that was where I was going. Is something where I'm looking to look, uh, look at the events post-1763 and the end of the uh, French and Indian Wars uh-huh. through to the outbreak of war to understand how blood brothers... Mm-hmm. At the end of 1763, who fought alongside each other against a common enemy, which is the Indians and the French, and the French. could turn on each other mm-hmm. over a period of 12 years to the point where in 1775 they were at daggers drawn with each right. other. And the only solution to the problem was 
uh, let's meet on the battlefield. Let's yeah. just get this over and done with. It breaks my heart to, you know, even now to think of how that could happen. I need to understand that, um, how, uh, how this could become effectively a, 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 so much of a civil war mm-hmm. that people who were natural allies become, would become natural enemies. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm all for it because I very much see that the American Revolution as a civil war, and and um, I, you know I think we need more work on that, on that head. So I look forward to seeing what uh, you come up with next. Yeah, fantastic. Right. Well, Doug, thank you very much. This has been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed my time immensely, and, and as I said, um, you know I didn't know Andre very well, but now I feel like I know him a whole lot better. So fantastic. Thank you for inviting me here. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Conversations, a production of the Fred W. Smith National Library for the Study of George Washington. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Jim Ambusky, with sound engineering from Mason Shelby of Mount Vernon's Media Department. Our music was composed and performed by Ginger and David Hillebrand. If you'd like to support this podcast, as well as new research into George Washington and his world, please consider becoming a Mount Vernon member. More information is on the webpage for this podcast at www.mountvernon.org podcast. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.